Hear the word of our Lord from 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in the 14th verse. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him speaking of this as he does in all his letters. There are some things in them hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you are forewarned, beware that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Today I want to talk about something very special. It seems to be new, but it's actually old, just as any other heresy is. And just as any other heretic is, they think they're saying something new, but they're not. In uh, in some of our circles here, it seems like St. Paul is under attack again. Everybody, every uh, every church, every now and then has somebody like this that wants to attack St. Paul. And uh, I, I want to say right now, before we address the real points being made here, because there, it's the same as it always is whenever it comes to attacking Paul's place in Scripture, um, it always comes with an ulterior motive. I knew seminary students who almost had a knee-jerk reaction of rejecting St. Paul's place in the scriptures and anything that he wrote. And they would try to make it sound academic. They would try to make it sound like there's some contradiction between what Jesus says and what St. Paul says. But they always have an agenda. They always eventually let it slip that what they're really after is St. Paul saying something that they don't like, so they uh, they attack him for it. And this usually comes in the guise of uh, St. Paul's prohibition of women being pastors. You know, he says, I suffer not a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, effectively barring women from the ministerial office. And they always, they always just reject St. Paul for that reason alone. But recently, it was brought to my attention that some people are, uh, well, they're admitting their ulterior motives right off the bat. And they're pretending that that's not what they're doing. So let's go ahead and read this from, uh, from 4chan's poll board. I know, stifle your laughter here. Just make it through it with me. So this here is from Paul. Meet St. Paul. This is Paul. Paul is a Jew and was called Saul. He changed his name to Paul because it sounds more Greek. Paul used to hunt, torture, and kill Christians. Paul was a fanatical Jew tasked with genociding Christians. Paul claims to have seen Jesus in a vision, a claim no one can verify. Paul became a devout Christian, so he claims alone. Paul was instrumental to tying Christians to Judaism. 
even though Christianity was a rejection of Judaism and Jewish gods. Paul encouraged Christians to do business with Jews. Jews! But not themselves to partake in things like usury. Paul successfully encouraged Christians to make a human sacrifice to Satan. Paul brought Semitic subjugation of women to the religion. Paul, with his pagan buddy Luke, wrote 80% of the New Testament. Paul leaned Christianity into Judaism forever. Even though Christianity is not a continuation of Judaism. And so on and so forth. Moving more and more saying more of the same. Paul being Jewish and having his, uh, his history equals Paul being an evil, subversive Jew for some reason. That's the claim. Now, right off the bat, again, this is not new. This is nothing new. This has been going on for at least 300 years. We'll get into that. But again, this isn't new. And what is not new about it, aside from the fact that there have there have been people that are anti-Pauline guys for a long time. The, the most unoriginal thing about it is the, the reasoning, the motivated reasoning, the claim that, uh, yes, this is super academic and everything, but then the admission that this is for some other agenda. St. Paul could be 100% verified as Holy Scripture. Jesus himself could say, yes, St. Paul is my guy. And this writer from uh, 4chan, and this uh, Romanian lady writing about it, would say the same things about St. Paul. And they, they would try to find some way to say that Jesus, uh, maybe that was an interpolation by a later author. They would find something, anything, to reject St. Paul. Why? Because he's a because he's Jewish, you see. And if somebody's Jewish, that means automatically whatever they're thinking, doing, saying, literally anything about them has to be bad. It has to be our uh, personalized caricature of what every single Jew in the history of everything has always been like. That's their reasoning. And uh, further reasoning, I mean, they get into the, the neo-pagan bit, right? A lot of neo-pagans today reject Christianity, and one of, the, one of the reasonings behind it is because supposedly the scriptures oppress women to such a horrible degree, you see, and pagans never did that, and they never would do that, because paganism is actually just a, a reflection of modern neoliberal morality or something, and therefore St. Paul, pff, let's attack him, and let's attack Christianity. So let's get into this, because later on, the same writer, this uh, Romanian, I guess, woman following after Savitri Devi's uh, position on it, claims, claims to have some sort of actual scriptural argumentation about it. But again, this is motivated reasoning. So as we go through this, it's going to be patently obvious that they're not arguing in good faith. Especially with uh, such golden things from this uh, Pikachu person or this Romanian lady here. Uh, quote, 
Jesus warned you. No, you didn't effing listen. I'm hilariously looking forward with bated breath to all the Paul apologists trying to tell me how Jesus was wrong because some wink wink just trust me bro Jew told them so. He effing told you his church was not for the many. And rather obviously the reason for that was that the many are so effing retarded they'd believe a lying Jew over Christ himself. Hilarious. Well, okay, dum-dum, let's look at your reasoning here. Here are some of the examples that this person is bringing. Uh, please bear with me with the mouse clicks and everything. Uh, point 18, uh, picking this stuff off from the, uh, <laughs> from the Boomer website that infamously does this. On the number to be saved. Romans 11. Verse 25, lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brethren. A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of the Gentiles come in. 26, and so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. Jesus says from Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. <gasps> oh no! Is this, a, is this a contradiction between St. Paul and Jesus? Well, of course not. Absolutely not. What, do, what does St. Paul mean when he says, So all Israel will be saved? Well, if we go here, let's open up to the book of Romans, apparently the people out there who think Paul is contradicting Jesus, they, they're uncomfortable with the idea of there being millions or hundreds of millions of Christians. But we can't forget St. Paul said in Romans 9 verse 6, It is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all Israelites truly belong to Israel. And not all of Abraham's children are his true descendants. But it is through Isaac that descendants shall be named for you. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as descendants. So when St. Paul here is referring to Israel and all Israel being saved in Romans chapter 11, he is not saying every Jew ever is going to be saved. He's saying that you are not part of Israel by being part of Abraham's loins. You are part of Israel by the promise given to Abraham, by faith in Christ. That's what makes you part of Israel. Meaning, now if Jesus was saying, that nobody in Israel, or a very few people that are in the church, are going to be saved. St. Paul is in full agreement with him. That every the, the only people going to heaven are the people who belong to Christ by faith. He's not saying a whole lot of people are going to be saved. He's saying, well, only people that are in the real, true Israel, God's church. But this doesn't end. This doesn't end from there, does it? No, no, no. Uh, 
Point 22, on unconditional election. Back to Romans, Paul says in Romans 9.16, So it depends not upon man's will or exertion, but upon God's mercy. But meanwhile, Jesus says, Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. I guess suddenly to these people, that means there's another contradiction between Jesus and Paul. They're so excited that they're nearly peeing their pants at the thought that justification by faith alone and the idea of God choosing those who would be saved. Well, Jesus, he contradicts that by saying, you got you to gotta do all this obedience, right? Well, that, that kind of ignores all the other stuff Jesus says, right? Let's go here to John chapter 17. Uh, Jesus' great high priestly prayer for us and for all the disciples after Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Oh. Oh, in verse 6, I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Well, well, wait, wait, wait a second. This is pretty consistent of Jesus then to talk about this. Um, uh, Jesus is the true vine. John chapter fifteen. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. Okay. Uh, in verse 4, abide in me and uh, as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So apart from Christ, we can do nothing. He even says as much because we are like a plant. Now the, the good works, the good fruit are absolutely expected. But Jesus says that that is a result of, of belonging to him, a result of the Father's mercy in giving us to his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Now, if this person writing this, and if every anti-Paul person out there were making their claims based on Scripture, do you think that maybe they would read all of Scripture? Or do you think maybe they're going to go ahead and do an anti-St. John crusade too? Are they going to go against St. John? Oh, but there's more, right? This, this keeps going. On the destiny of the law and the prophets. St. <laughs> Paul says in Romans 10 verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law that everyone who has faith may be justified. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Verses 17 and 18, Think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
For truly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Bum, bum, bum. This is saying that St. Paul here is trying to undo God's law. Well, Jesus says you totally have to do the law. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, no. Oh, no. WTF. Now the Bible, it's ruined. <laughs> is that really what, what Jesus is getting at? Is that really what Paul is getting at? Well, let's do something that they've probably never heard of before. Let's look at an interlinear here. Because uh, Romans 10 verse 4 says Christ is the end of the law. But does it mean that he's the end of the law for time? Chronology. Well, let's look at it in the interlinear. Look at it in the Greek. And, oh, just as suspected here. When it says uh, Christ is the end of the law, it's telos. The principle, end, aim, or purpose Oh, well, that makes it sound quite a bit different here. If, if we reread this here, Romans, uh, Romans 10 verse 4, Christ is the purpose of the law, the end goal, the idea behind the law, that everyone who has faith may be justified. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because Jesus says he's come to fulfill the law. In what way? To fulfill its purpose purpose, which is faith in Christ. The law, strictly speaking, the law and the prophets, their entire job, the entirety of the Old Testament here is supposed to lead you to Jesus and to true faith in him. Not that our, uh, not that our conscientious objector here would understand that because again, they're not really counting on what the Bible says. They're counting on this is a Jew, and all Jews are evil, snidely whiplash monsters, especially St. Paul. Goodness gracious. There is, see, guys, there's a difference between understanding that Jews are sinful people and a particular people who were cut off from God's Israel, who, who thus have a false religion that they follow and act in accordance with that false religion, especially with the Talmud, right? I'm not running apologetics here for the ADL. It's a, it's a nasty bunch of people. But that doesn't mean that every single Jewish person in all of history is just going to do all this stuff that we don't like. It's one thing to call out misbehavior as we see it here in the modern world, but to then imprint current problems onto an older person from 2,000 years ago tells me they're not thinking really rationally here. But uh, continuing on. On your father, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 15, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. In Philemon 1 verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become in my imprisonment. And Jesus says in Matthew 23 verse 9, Call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Now, 
again, in the in this insanity, they're deciding that the usage of the word father can now only be used in one way. Only be used in one way, period, end of story, nothing, nothing else matters. What's the problem with that? Well, they just said that Jesus insists upon the law still being 100% applicable for salvation, basically. They want you following the law. This, there's a lot of Hebrew roots movements people who reject St. Paul so they can go on uh, not eating shellfish and following the other Levitical codes. So they want to say that Jesus teaches don't, you know, don't say anybody's your dad. Don't say anybody's your father because, after all, you only have one father, your father in heaven. And thus they want to say that Jesus taught people to break the law. The fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you in the land you are going in to possess. Do they really think that that's what Jesus is getting at? Again, motivated reasoning. This is somebody who is driven nutso, either nutso bananas out of their hatred for Jews. Right? A, a point of anti-Semitism where I, I tell all of our guys, look, hold the JQ at arm's length. It, it's good to know your stuff, but the abyss never ends. And you'll, you're going to drive yourself insane. This is kind of an example of that happening. Where they're willing to say that Jesus, that whether they want to say it or not directly, they're saying Jesus was an evil heretic according to their own system because they want to follow the law, but they're saying Jesus taught excruciatingly contrary to it by saying, don't honor your earthly father. This is stupid. And it's either they're, they're driven themselves psychotic by getting this deep into the rabbit hole of the JQ and what they're really all about. Or this is a glow-in-the-dark DNC shill trying to break the unity of Christians even further. And to be honest with you, my money's on the second option. But, uh, oh, here's another one. Uh, on the time of the coming of the Lord. Paul says in Romans 13, verse 12, The night is far gone and the day is at hand. Jesus says, Luke 21, verse 8, Take heed that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Hey, remember when I said that these people would reject Jesus telling them to listen to St. Paul? Well, from the very beginning of this recording, Maybe we don't have directly a statement by Jesus saying, hey, listen to St. Paul. But they do have, we do have here, St. Peter saying, yes, everything I'm saying about the Lord's coming, because he, he spends the first half of 2 Peter chapter 3 talking about the eschaton, the time and the day in which Christ returns. He says, yeah, Paul says the same thing. So St. Peter, who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who was there for every single message he gave, who was there with the resurrected Lord Jesus, says, yeah, St. Paul says the same stuff. I, th I, th I think St. Peter, while I'm not a Roman Catholic, 
um, a Lutheran here, but I, I think St. Peter has some authority as an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if he says St. Paul is, uh, is teaching the same stuff as our, as our Lord Jesus, teaching the same stuff about the end times as St. Peter is, uh, I'm going to believe him. I'm not going to claim that there's some sort of a contradiction here. So Jesus here in Luke 21, 8, many will come in my name saying the time is at hand, do not go after them. Why? Because the though Christ can come at any time, St. Peter in 2 Peter elaborates on what it means to be ready for him. How then shall we live? He says, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now, St. Peter here is saying, the way you are ready for Christ's return, when the heavens part and he descends to the earth in a cloud, be ready by doing your best to show the fruit that God grows in you. Concern yourself with being the best you can be for our Lord Jesus, having the best impact here on earth, loving God above all, loving your neighbor as yourself, not being carried away into the lawless and ugly doctrines of heretics and false teachers and false religions or godlessness. Walk humbly with your God and you're ready for Christ's return. That's St. Peter who walked with Jesus in his earthly ministry, listening to him. The same St. Peter who, uh, you know, tradition has it that St. Mark was his translator same St. Peter says, yep, this is how you're prepared, and, you know, Paul agrees with me. He's kind of a big name. Well, that, that kind of tells us there's, there's some serious differences here between what we're being presented by 4chan and by this Romanian glow-in-the-dark, maybe a lady, at least presenting as a lady, but probably not. I mean, let's face it. Uh, you can have a fake server in Romania, but actually be some dude out there in an office clicking away and finding false uh, identification here. Or maybe just a, a demon. A demon possessing somebody and using a computer to get Christians to stop listening to their Bible. But either way, the problem is not St. Paul being a Jew. Because St. Paul was hated by the Jews. St. Paul was killed by the Jews, beheaded before 70 AD at the behest of various Jewish leaders. This is the same St. Paul who writes this. Let's turn here to uh, Thessalonians here. For 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, you brothers and sisters became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own compatriots as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They displease God and oppose everyone by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. Thus they have constantly been filling up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has overtaken them at last. Does that sound like some subversive shyster? 
Now, I know the response of this. I know the, the, the canned response of these people. They do the tactical liberal Christianity thing. They're rejecting St. Paul, so that means Peter didn't write Second Peter, and St. Paul didn't write that part of First Thessalonians that was probably a, an after-the-fact interpolation. But the fact of the matter is, is as they're doing this, they would have to consist, if they're going to be consistent in their theology, consistent in their beliefs, they're going to have to remove St. John too. Because John's gospel shows Jesus saying a lot of really Paul-ish stuff, doesn't it? So now they've removed John. Now John is an evil Jewish subversive shyster or whatever. So now you've removed everything in the Bible. You've, um, in the New Testament here, you've removed all the letters of St. Paul. You've removed the gospel of Luke and Acts. Because after all, that's, that's Paul's buddy and, and Paul's bad news. So you've got to remove whatever the heck Luke said. You've removed St. John. So there goes five books there. John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. And, you know, Jude writes a lot like St. Peter in 2 Peter. So we're going to probably, let's get rid of that too. What do you have left? You've got Matthew, Mark, Hebrews, and 1 Peter. Maybe. Maybe 1 Peter. That's it. These are not people who want to read what the scripture says. They are not people who want to hammer out the details and do the work of understanding what the Bible is saying and letting scripture interpret scripture. They hardly want to even read what the Bible says. They just want to remove St. Paul because they think that that lets them believe whatever the hell they want. There are there are anti-Paul people who said this. Why? Uh, well, because they want to ordain women. They're your standard neoliberal that wants Episcopalianism and Jesus is my boyfriend songs at every church service. And they, they excise Paul from the scriptures, knowing that that leaves a massive hole in the New Testament for the sole purpose of doing leftist stuff. And then there are these psychotic people who, again, they think that every single Jew in history is the same exact shyster that they're seeing in their head. <laughs> the same exact person. They think it's actually Greenberg Blatt from ADL who wants to kick you off of Twitter. They think that's the same guy because they don't know this thing, this little thing called nuance. Maybe they have a soft spot in their heart for Hans Hermann Hopp, but that's about it. So you have... <clears throat> leftist, leftist subversives on one hand you got psychopathic people who take anti-semitism to an unreasonable degree right it's one thing to be anti-zionist it's another thing to say i'm willing to call out misbehavior when i see it and i understand that different groups have a particular way of doing things that i that i find contemptible it's another thing to again you, you order a burger from Jack in the Box and you, you ask for it with no pickles, but they put pickles on it so you shake your fist at the sky and you yell, Jews! That's these people. If a Jew wears pants, they're all going to wear kilts. <laughs> That's the problem. That's why I, I tell you, keep the JQ at arm's length. Know what it's about, know what's going on for, for your circles here. 
But your average Jew on the street, or maybe working at your grocery store, is not the people that you're really pissed off about. Treat them as your neighbor. Jesus says love your neighbor as yourself, and even love your enemies. So treat them as human beings with, with some decency in how you operate. And take it from there. Because otherwise you're going to go nuts. And by the way, a whole lot of Jewish groups hate St. Paul too. The World Jewish Congress and the European Jewish Congress, both, like, that, there was the attempt to make a translation of the Bible that had, like, warnings before, quote-unquote, anti-Semitic verses, and they were all St. John and St. Paul. So they still don't like St. Paul very much, much in the same way their ancestors hated St. Paul and had him killed by the Romans. All right. But... Even though there's different motives across these groups, across the, the leftists who want a big giant pride church, you know, it's June, so they, they want pride church. And, and they're done hearing about the Jesus that saves you from their sins. They're all about the Jesus that affirms your sins. And there's a big chasm between those guys and the, the crazy people who think that, you know, it rained on Thursday and I wanted to go outside. Why did the Jews do this to me? And then, of course, there's Jews who are personally offended at what St. Paul says. These are all different groups. But what they don't understand, and maybe they understand this on a limbic level, but what they don't get is that St. Paul doesn't say anything new. He is not an innovator in any sense of the word. Any doctrine you can come up with that St. Paul says, any doctrine that he gives us in the New Testament Somebody else said in the Bible before him. See, this, while his words are scripture, an issue is, is that St. Paul is a theologian. He is the church's first theologian. If we look at justification by faith alone, St. John said it before he did, and Habakkuk before him. When God tells Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by what? Faith. Okay. Sola fide, not St. Paul's baby. It's not his innovation here. The Bible says it many times beforehand. Or let's go with um, Israel. Branches broken off. Well, branches broken off? Well, what do you think all of the Old Testament Deuteronomic history is about? Deuteronomy chapter 28, all the way through chapter 30, says you're going to be broken off from my people for your rebellion. So Moses said it 1,400 years before St. Paul said it. In fact, that's a theme that runs up all the way till the Babylonian exile. How about, let's see here, what else does Paul say? What's another theme in his theology throughout his books? The law. That Christ fulfilled the law. We don't do good deeds in order to be saved. We do good deeds because we are saved. Well, it sounds quite a bit like Jesus's words from John, which says, you can't do anything apart from me. That sounds quite a bit like you shall know them by their fruits. So St. Paul didn't come up with that first. But the problem that these people all have is, I want the Bible to say one thing. And I don't want an interpretive authority over me that says another thing. St. Paul being the church's first 
theologian means that he exercises an interpretive authority over the Old Testament and much of the New Testament. He collects things. He systematizes them. He demonstrates what the scripture says and what it means. And for these self-willed rebels out there, they don't like that. They don't like that one stinking bit. Because that means that suddenly now they can't do DIY Christianity. I give them credit. I give them credit. Because there are absolutely people who do DIY Christianity. Do it yourself. We're going to make it up as we go along. Christianity. While accepting what St. Paul writes. And then kind of ignoring the fact that that means they're, they're not supposed to be proclaiming the things that they proclaim. These people understand at the very least that Paul gets in the way of us saying whatever we want. It, that St. Paul prevents Christianity from being a wax nose that I can shape however I want to make it fit my mold. At the very least, instinctually they know that. They're not willing to admit that that's the reason they're trying to remove him from the Bible. But at least... They're being consistent with somebody who, maybe in a more honest moment, would say, yeah, I just want to remove this guy because he says stuff I don't like and he, he's interpreting the Bible for me. So it's, it's insidious, though. Because, again, there are, there are groups and cults that pretend to accept what St. Paul says and just do the wax nose bit on him. The Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, all sorts of groups out there that say, oh yeah, St. Paul, definitely the apostle. We, we love what he wrote in the scriptures, and then they ignore everything he wrote so that they can believe what they want. Like on the issue of election, that while a mystery, it's still there, that people are saved be, you know, in part because the Father says, all right, you're part of my elect. And we don't know how that works, but it does. There are people out there in the Mormon church who reject that. So Joe Smith gets up there and says, oh no, it's all free will, baby. Everything is free. It's all your choice. You can go become a god. Yeah, St. Paul's still scripture to them, but they'll say, well, it's got to be rightly interpreted. We need, to, we need to mold this wax nose to be just a little bit pointier in our direction. So these people, again, at least they're honest enough to admit if they're, if maybe you give them a beer first, at least they'll be honest enough to admit, yeah, I want Christianity to say what I feel like it is. To exercise what Lutherans call enthusiasm over the Bible and over Christianity and to control it to be what I want. Speaking of Lutheranism, though, got a bone to pick with you guys. <laughs> Even being a Lutheran, we're the masters of divinity here. Lutheranism is the vehicle through which liberal Christianity entered into the world. Yeah, that JDEP theory that uh, posits that Moses didn't write the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Yeah, that, that comes from Julius Wellhausen, Lutheran. The idea that Christianity is not a religion, it's supposed to be a relationship. And uh, you really shouldn't be following rules yeah, that's, that's Lutheranism. That's uh, the uh, Schleiermacher, the theologian out there who rejected the entirety of the Old Testament and 
Ten Commandments. Uh, how about the idea that Christianity means doing whatever you want? Now you might say, oh wait, 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 Luther hated the antinomians, the people who rejected the law of God. And you're right, except that the modern face of antinomianism comes quite a bit from Gerhard Ferda. Now this isn't to say that these heresies and these horrible theological problems are the fruit of Lutheranism. But it seems to come down from Lutheran seminaries as they start to go bad that it gets disseminated throughout the rest of the Protestant world, including anti-Pauline theory, anti-Pauline theology. You see, the Tübingen school in uh, the 1700s determined that there were the Ebionite group, which, again, Ebionitism is a heresy, but they believe that the Ebionite group was actually, you know what, that's probably original Christianity. And they, everything they wrote is actually just against St. Paul, who must have been this, um, this interfering and subverting person. And lo and behold, there were Lutherans in the 19th century, sorry, 20th century, that when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, were jumping on that to claim that the war scroll and these other uh, scrolls out there talking about an enemy, they must be talking about St. Paul, because the early church definitely had to reject him. In fact, it gets so bad because these people claiming to be Lutheran, running quote-unquote Lutheran seminaries, they're the ones introducing a lot of these things. Now, personally, I think this is just an evidence that, yeah, Lutheranism is where it's at theologically. Because the devil's working really, 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 really hard to make sure that bad people get into our universities, bad people get into our seminaries. I mean, for crying out loud, Christian atheism, what's that come from? That comes from Bonhoeffer. Lutheran. Uh, demythologization of Christianity, taking out all the miracles and stuff and reinterpreting them as myth and fable. That's uh, Jürgen Moltmann and Adolf Bultmann, Lutherans, supposedly. Looks to me like a lot of this stuff sounds like the people have been listening to the wrong Lutherans as these guys try to subvert the church and claim that St. Paul was the subverter all along. So that being said, guys, I confess, I believe, teach, and confess. St. Paul is an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ and rightfully so called. His title is appropriate because he truly did actually have a vision of our Lord Jesus Christ with the scales on his eyes which made him stop persecuting the church. And yes, indeed, St. Paul's words are verified as Holy Scripture, even attested to by the Apostle St. Peter, who was leader of the church at this time. St. Paul's words are precious to us because they relate to us the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he has died for our sins. And thus, St. Luke as well, the physician, his words in the Gospel of Luke and the book of the Acts of the Apostles, these too are Holy Scripture. May we never, ever, ever 
denigrate the words of the holy apostle by claiming that he was some subversive shyster when God has grown his church and led many to saving faith and sanctification through them. God help us. Amen.